Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming service so that you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined this week by Alicia Walker. Hello. Christine Deacon. Hi. Nathan McKinney. Hi. And Zach (laughs) Rowland. Hey. And this week we're talking about Wendigo, the 2001 version. Um, I think there's like eight on IMDb. So we watched the 2001 one. uh, And it was suggested by Christine. In that movie, a family from the city decided to spend a weekend away at a friend's country farmhouse. But a fluke accident sets off a chain of events that alters their lives forever and conjures up the ferocious spirit of the Wendigo. Um, That is next. But first, we're talking about what we've been watching lately. Uh, Alicia, what have you been watching lately? Well, uh, last night we watched a documentary that just recently came out on blu-ray and had not been available for a long time about the cast recording of company which is kind of famous or infamous uh of it's a it's a pinna baker documentary and it's uh it's a lot shorter than i expected i'd always heard about this documentary i had seen the uh documentary now the mockumentary uh, mm. episode of this of this documentary but I had never seen the the actual documentary that supposedly had been for yeah. a lot of people passed around as a video cassette Same. for years yeah when it was uh, out of print. what was the name of it uh, it's just called company the company okay yeah and it just came out on a criterion actually it just got released last month and so what's great about it um, besides the fact that you know it's a really good version of it for a lot of people who probably haven't ever gotten to see a good version but uh, it for the extras it includes the documentary now mockumentary sweet and so we immediately followed the watching of the actual documentary with a rewatching of the mockumentary so we could just really appreciate further how many things are so close to oh, that's awesome. you know which is what's great about documentary now they do such a good job with that on so many of the ones they do but um, so they had that and then they had like a. Like they did a lot of the extras, I think, during the pandemic. So they had like a Zoom with all the people that made the mockumentary. So like John Mulaney is one of the main guys talking about because he was one of the big instigators of getting that particular episode going. And uh, it's also got a lot of commentary, which which on a second watching, which I'm sure I will have sometime in the future, I would like to listen to some of the con- commentary, which includes commentary from Elaine Stritch and Stephen Songtime. So. I think that's going to be um, a pretty big deal to listen to that with their discussion of what's going on for that for that hour, that monumental hour. So, yes, I would highly recommend uh, checking out the company. Cool, Nathan. How about you? I've been kind of focusing mostly this uh, year on Halloween stuff and trying to watch a few old old school horror things or scary things. Uh, so today I. Uh, Criterion just put out a new edition of uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man, mm. which I swear I probably saw as a kid, um, but I didn't really remember very much from it. And uh, I got to say, for a movie of its time, the effects are pretty damn good. Now, I mean, it's an old black and white movie, so they didn't have to like make everything super match with color or anything like that, which is almost an advantage in its, its favor. But like... They did some pretty cool things to I mean, that was half the fun of watching it, honestly, was just seeing how they p- kind of pulled it off. Um, 
and just you know different spots where it was literal split, split screen and then the sets they would build that were like the ginormous couch that he'd have to sit on for several scenes mm-hmm. and that kind of thing so it was it was fun i liked it and uh you know they there's a fight with a cat and there's a fight with a tarantula yeah they're pretty gripping i, I was i'm impressed with it so i'm glad we got that one they uh mystery science theater did that as one of their last episodes on comedy or on uh, sci-fi oh okay they riffed that one so i think i have also seen it but i think i've seen that version of it and it's been a while so yeah cool well i found out this the sequel was actually the um it it was never quite made but it was eventually the incredible shrinking woman with Lily Tomlin, so I have to go dig that one up next. Oh, I'm confused. I'm thinking of the Incredible Melting Man, not the Incredible <laughs> Shrinking Man. No, and not the man, incredibly not, strange not, creatures not that stopped living and became mixed There's up a lot zombies. of incredible men and little people. The Incredibles. Is that what we're talking about yeah. now? I don't know. Zach, how about <laughs> you? It's off the rails. Um, I got two. I'll split them equally, but I'll be quick. The Last Duel. Um, I got to say, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, it's a long film, uh, but I think that um, it's it's worthy of a watch. It's a Ridley Scott uh, film, and um, the uh, it was it encapsulating. I enjoyed it. Um, plus, I like knights and stuff like that, old medieval things. Where'd and you watch the, it? Oh, I saw that. At, sorry. Um, I've been going to the theaters. I've been risking it all, and uh, I saw that one um, just at AMC, my, cool. uh, my, go, my go-to spot. Uh, and then I also caught Dune, uh, also at AMC, but in Dolby Cinema. That was amazing. That was yeah. just the the whole you're, you you the rumbling. I mean, you know, they are not kidding. When those seats they rumble, um, and you feel like you're in those ships and you're a part of those battles. And uh, not only that, but visually stunning. Um, may not be for everybody. It's you know fairly sci-fi, but um, I am excited to see this franchise take off. So yeah, yeah, I am not sure if. Dune will end up being my first uh, my first movie since lockdown, or if it'll be uh, becoming Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> good, both good. I'm sure. Which I uh, which I actually bought a virtual ticket for to see it at TIFF, and then we went to Portland, mm-hmm. and I was just happy being in Portland and didn't bother looking at the calendar for what time it was in Toronto and when to tune into it. So <laughs> free money, Liz Garbus. Enjoy go yeah christine well, how about you yeah uh so i watched uh on shutter a movie called morning do not play uh it's a korean horror film about a film student who is trying to make uh a, her next horror movie uh she's gotten all this backing because her first movie did so well uh, in a festival and she's under a lot of pressure to make her next one go really well and then she hears that a previous student had a film that was so scary that a lot of people just ran out of the theater and somebody had a heart attack and apparently the director said that it was not really directed by him it was directed by a ghost Mm -hmm. and so uh you go throughout this movie and she's trying to figure out uh 
where she can find this guy or how she can find this movie and she eventually gets her hands on it and just strange things start to happen and you're not really sure what's real and what's not real Ooh. and what's going on sounds a little bit like the ring a little bit yeah a little bit of that and uh, a little bit like a biography of William Castle who always came up with crazy gimmicks for people <clears throat> to come and see his his very terrible horror movies yeah but it was good I enjoyed it right on well, I brought Liz Garbus's name up before, and the reason that she's on my mind is because um, I saw her uh, her fictionalized uh, feature called Lost Girls on Netflix. Lost Girls is a dramatization of uh, a real uh, serial killer event where a bunch of women were going missing in this gated community in New York uh, on Long Island. Um, people that follow, uh, you know, crime and that kind of stuff may have heard of it before. Um, I'd seen some stuff about it before, so I, I didn't know that's what it was about when I started watching it, but I like quickly was like, yeah, this, I remember this kind of thing happening before. Um, it's a really different take on, on telling the side of, the families and the people who are traumatized by these women being killed instead of it being all about the killer. So um, the lead character is the mother of one of the girls that goes missing and it's her fight to get attention from the police and the authorities and the media that gets the investigation started and they start searching where her daughter was last seen and immediately find four bodies that are not her daughter. And so the whole movie is just like them slowly uncovering things through this, uh, through this investigation and her fighting with the police to do more than they've done, help her find her daughter. Um, she goes through a phase where she doesn't want to meet any of the other families because she feels like that'll mean that she's admitting to herself that her daughter is, is also dead and she doesn't want to do that. And then she also has two younger daughters um, who are going through all of this trauma and stuff with her. So it's, it's a very, um, it's a very female focused movie, um, which I really appreciated. I thought it was, uh, it, it was a really interesting and humanizing way to look at something like a, a, a mass murder and a, uh, uh, a more than somewhat inept police investigation. So lost girls on Netflix, but, uh, our movie this week, when to go, um, when to go now we go, uh, I had not seen this before. Is there anyone who had seen this besides Christine? Nobody. Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of Wendigo? Yeah. Um, I uh, think I saw a lot of those same actors in other movies before I saw this movie. <laughs> um, I got I got a couple of giggles out of it. I guess I, uh, I don't know. I don't really have a 
strong feeling on it. Um, 2001. So I'm trying to think like visual effects at the time. That's just like post matrix. I don't know. There were some things to me that were obviously off in a certain ways, but I think that's probably what makes it, you know, um, a horror film or a, a scary movie to say, um, you know, the, uh, the idea of, of the, I don't want to say what not campy effects, but you know, um, the like yeah, movements not, of the camera and yeah, they're not going to be state it's of the not art. A Disney effect. <laughs> um, it's not a major en- studio effect. Right. Right. I, I mean, I enjoyed the acting for sure. I think that they're, they really carried the film um, overall. I didn't really get, and maybe I just missed some information, but I didn't get a lot of information necessarily about the family or if there was anything really wrong with the kid um obviously the kids seeing things so to speak you know uh traumatizing experience right off the bat but was like was there anything before that i thought the mom was a lawyer but then i guess she's a therapist so i i must have missed something there um and then the dad i think was a photographer right uh that's i thought that might have been a hobby and he was in the corporate world or something but yeah okay yeah some kind of professor business, just I work a job kind of character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I kind of took it they were they were playing it like the kid was young enough to have just all this stuff in his imagination to a degree. Mm-hmm. But the right. kid playing him was a little too old and too wise looking to pull that <laughs> off very well. Yeah. But that was kind of my take on it. <laughs> Maybe they were just leaning into the fact that he was Dewey for Malcolm in the middle. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, um, they just wanted that you to cachet right Dewey. there. <laughs> <laughs> I I think doing it mostly from the perspective of the kid, you know, so to speak, we 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 stick with him for most of it. Um it was probably better that way, uh, you know, cuz that's what they want you to see is the is like the kid in in this world of the of these things. Um I'm glad that I, you know, they gave a little context to the situation of why the guy was such a creep, Otis. Um, you know, like he comes out hard and fast and I I think it was like someone watched Deliverance and was like how can we do this, but in the Catskills with hunters and then make it also about this uh, ancient uh, native spirit, uh, which I had heard of before. We used to tell that story when I was in Scouts, um, you know, so I, I was familiar with the idea and the story of the Wendigo. Yeah, I always um, thought the Wendigo and, was a, was you know, a, I, a I haven't really ever seen any type of creature films on it, per se. I've only ever heard it turned through tales. Sorry, man. You're lagging out. Nope. Okay. I know. It's me. It's me. I'm the worst. I got to send you a cable. <laughs> I don't have a port. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, that's right. But. I need to send you a port. <laughs> there we go. But uh, yeah, I'm sorry. What were you going to say, Dale? Uh, I actually said it and it, it just got lost. It was, uh, I said that I always thought that a Wendigo was like an abominable snowman, but oh yeah, it, it's not. It's some kind of deer spirit natural force thing yeah just yeah i mean another you know mythical creature <laughs> right we told each other the scary story as we did a bunch of them in scouts to you know keep each other from going into the woods and um i want the funny quick funny story though uh like one of the first times i like the seriously ever seriously first time i actually got high off of uh marijuana mm-hmm. uh, i was in i was in the woods on a scout trip and um and we were in the woods. That's smoking. where you do drugs, kids. Yeah, yeah. No, I was <laughs> like, this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah, what else are we gonna do? Uh, it's not about tying knots. It's about doing drugs. Um, but then like 
we started hearing stuff, of course, in the woods, and we thought something was hunting us, and we th- we thought it was the Wendigo, and <laughs> we were so high, it was so dumb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think I think that's what made me giggle a couple of times in this film, where I was just like, I have to be super high for this. <laughs> you you fell hard when they took you snipe hunting, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Snipes are the worst, man. Nathan, over to you. What did you think of Wendigo? You know, I wanted to appreciate some things about it because it it did try to do some interesting things. You know, all these crazy special camera effects that it was doing to do like the the scary moments in the movie, they're straight out of like a 1960s horror movie, most of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could I just I wanted to appreciate that part about it. Um I think, you know, what I've kind of discovered about the best horror movies is that they're not specifically about the horror thing itself. There's something else that's a better story that and that is being stimulated by whatever the horror thing is. And I think this movie really did try to do that. And I think that was probably really smart. Uh, I think the script was great as far as, especially because the dad was written pretty well as like a not perfect dad. He's not you know he's yeah. not an ex- you know a plus parent he's kind of more like a c plus parent and you know patricia clarkson she's not an a plus mom she's more like a b plus mom mm-hmm. um and i appreciated that that they were flawed and they were trying to do some good family dynamics but i honestly think and i don't know if it was the acting or if it was just the general chemistry between all three of them I don't know if it was the kid. I don't know if it was the dad. I love Patricia Clarkson usually, but most of the scenes with them, even though the script was pretty well written, I kind of felt like they kind of sat a little flat for me and kind of made the movie a little bit boring to watch. Yeah. So that was kind of my overall take on that. And then I think you can't, and I think Alicia will probably talk to this, so I don't want to steal all of her thunder, but I, I'm going to agree can jump with her in. totally. We're allowed to talk. This is a discussion. The, of the costume, the the costume design on the final version of the Wendigo itself was something they just should have looked at on set and just said, you know what? The Wendigo is like the wind. Yeah. We just need to see little pieces and parts of him. And that's scarier than the weird guy in the track suit with the deer head. Yeah. Yeah. That was my, my main thing we were watching. It was this needs to have the jaws treatment, like the, the, uh. You know, more the less we see of it, the better. better. The scarier it's going to be. I agree with you. Yeah. So at the end, when the attack of the Santa's reindeer happens, (laughs) I'm just like, "Oh, there he is! Oh, he is!" And it's still he's there, and he's there again, 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 again. And I just, I I kept getting better looks at him, and I didn't want to get better looks at him because then I thought, then I just started laughing during that part. Really, it's interesting. Like, yeah, the more they show of it, the less interesting it becomes yeah so that that was kind of you know i was that that kind of did it for me there at the end i was like oh okay when when to, that's when to go all right yeah i mean i i'm almost curious a little bit about the origins of this movie if it because it it did not strike me as it could have gone one way or the other like it could have been just straight up an independent movie or it could have just been i mean it felt like a tv made for tv movie and maybe that explains some of the low budget. It's actually things even it, less but. than that. But uh, okay. I'll wait my turn to to get into the production. Okay, yeah, because I, mean, I looked into it. It it's not 
I, I can't say I would ever recommend anybody to watch this and they were just unless they were just like a huge Patricia Clarkson fan, maybe. Um, Fair but enough. I, I I think I appreciate what it was trying to do. Okay. It just didn't quite succeed. Well, we got a bit of it, but Alicia, what's the rest of your thought on Wendigo? Um, I I just want to say Wendigo like that a thousand times. Like no, I think that's yes, I yes exactly. <laughs> I kept thinking like wait, you know, Tay's in the Wendigo mm-hmm. or something is kind of Tays what was going through Wendigo. my head all the, all the time. So yeah, I really had a Nell thing, and I th- and speaking of Nell and 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 deliverance all that, I definitely it was trying to feed on that weird country people will get you city folk like it was very much like uh you know right from the beginning when they hit the deer the buck and the hunters you know come out of the wood and they come out and and otis is is ticked off that his his buck he's been tracking this whole time you broke one of its antlers you know okay sorry about that I hit it with a car. Wasn't on per, you know, so that, mm-hmm. and just Your him dirt staring. Broke my car. Yeah. <laughs> and so him just staring at them, you know, I feel like I've seen a lot of movies that, that are all about city folk, you know, paranoid of the weird, you know, inbred country yeah. folk, you know? So, and maybe I'm a little more sensitive to that sometimes because I, I'm from Missouri and for a lot of people, they think Missouri is a very rural country bumpkin you know, flyover area yeah. of the country. So it just felt like kind of redneck horror to you. It, a little bit. I mean, I didn't get as, as amped up as I thought it would. I thought we'd see Otis doing a lot more stuff. I mean, we don't really see, uh, unless I missed it turning away for a second, we didn't see him shoot uh, the father on the sled, right? It's just that it's by the range and he's there. And I have a theory there. about that. So okay. there's a scene before they go sledding where... The dad finds a spent bullet. Yes. And like puts it in his pocket. I think that that leaves just enough to the viewer's imagination that it's possible that what happened to him on the sled was not necessarily him getting shot. Mm -hmm. It could have been that he fell and hurt himself because you can fuck yourself up going down a hill. Um, and he got that bullet stuck in his body somehow. And so that's why they thought that's, in the hospital he'd been shot. Exactly. So that, that at least provides an alternate reason that that bullet's there. Okay. That there's, there's, there's at least a hint yeah. of doubt. Yeah. Not, not because much. it was the Wendigo that did it. Right. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, oh, I, I thought I would see Otis being a lot more dastardly, for you know, it, it it kind of became just a voyeurism thing with him just looking in the house and watch him have sex. But I get you know, obviously he had a history of shooting bullets at the house and this and that. So I, I was kind of getting yes. So I was kind of getting amped up, excited, watching it, waiting for Otis to just go on a bloody rampage or something, you know. And then I figured the Wendigo would take care of him by the end, kind of early on somehow, but. Um, but yeah, so I, I really liked how it kind of set stuff up. I thought that beginning scene with the, with the hitting of the deer with the car, I thought that was great. I thought that was a really great way to set up the tension right off the bat. We've hardly watched the movie and that's what's happening. But I do feel like at the end, I had some expectations and some, you know, it's okay sometimes for my expectations not come to fruition. But once I saw Wendigo busting around in his, 
you know, floppy costume or whatever is the Roger Rabbit. Once it went full Krampus, is Donnie Darko. Yeah, so, so exactly. It was kind of Donnie Darko a little bit. So I think I was more scared of Donnie Darko, my God. But I, yeah, I think that then that kind of deflated my tension that I had for uh, the Wendigo. Uh, I, I'm kind of torn on the whole Native American guy giving him the statue. Like, uh, I mean, and I don't know the or you guys know more about the origins maybe of this tale, so maybe that's a really integral part well, of the whole Wendigo legend. Zach to go back into his uh, into drug addled brain. Scout mode. Yeah, yep. so that might be why it kind of had to be a Native American who gave him the statue who wasn't really there, but was he? And, you know, and at the end, shedding a single tear or something, standing <laughs> looking at nature like Nathan Because the kid drops the Wendigo about. on the ground. Or exactly. So um, so maybe that was a really important part of the story, but I was like, kind of like, oh, okay, so it has to be, you know, it, it's all Native American legend or whatever. But uh, so for me, I, I really liked where it had set up and, you know, where it was going, but it just kind of let me down a little at the end. Okay. I want to jump in real quick. So I think we should write a sequel to this. You know how they did for like Candyman where like it happened like, you know, back in like 80s or whatever. And then, you know, so it's like a canonical 30 sequel. Years yeah. So we bring back Dewey uh, and then he has the Wendigo statue. And then it, now it's that he passes it off and it becomes a totem like in uh, Brady Bunch so that it just keeps bringing the Wendigo <laughs> back. And it just keeps following this town. I nice. think we got it. And they go surfing with it around their neck. Yeah. And and out and, it's it's okay. like and it a monkey's be... paw that no one knows is a monkey's paw. Yes. It'll be in Spanish for the sole reason so we could call it Windy Dose. <laughs> oh, my God. I think we got a hit so here. Wrong. Yes. We're yeah. just writing sequels for movies now, guys. God. I, uh, I, I am a firm yellow light on that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I looked into this. Um, uh, I What I did was I... I I did a quick scan right before we came on of IMDb. And one of the things I like to do after watching a movie, after I've kind of got my own opinion on it, um, is read some of the IMDb reviews. Um, does not surprise me that this movie is at a 5.3 on IMDb. Um, it feels like a movie that half the people like half the people don't like at all. It, it seems like a divisive kind of kind of movie in that way. Um, one of the things that they pointed out, though, was that uh, the movie was shot on HDV, which is like a consumer grade camera in 2001. So it was shot on HDV and then transferred to film to be sent to film festivals. And so the version that I think a lot of us watched on Tubi um, looks awful because it's a HDV to film to streaming transfer and you lose a bunch of information in that process. Uh, but the reviewer was saying that they had watched the film version of it and that the film was very grainy and murky as well. So, you know, I don't think they had a whole lot of budget put into uh, the technical side of executing the movie. I think their budget mainly was focused on the cast and the costumes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> Those 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 antlers they go for a lot in the market. Well, if you if you break one, somebody might saying. somebody might shoot you. Mm -hmm. um, I no I um I feel like I was I was just just in the right headspace for this movie. Um, it it really worked for me um, because uh, 
because it was it was as simple as it is uh, because there was there was so little happening and because the technical limitations basically put me in the position of the kid where I had to imagine a lot of what was happening around what they were showing um, just because you know you know it's obvious like David Fincher didn't shoot this movie you know uh, Roger Deakins did not shoot this movie kind of thing uh, my thing what what I got out of it was that uh the accident with the deer and that whole argument that happens is just this mini encapsulation of the whole movie and the whole idea of the movie. And that is how different people deal with trauma in different ways and they make their situation unnecessarily worse by making all these assumptions about what the other person wants or not even listening to what the other person wants. Like this, that, that it was confirmed to me that that cemented for me, I should say, like it cemented how I was feeling about it when they just hooked the truck up to the car at the end and pulled him like three feet and he was safe and he was out of there. And if he could have just been gracious enough to have been like, you know, yeah, I'm really sorry. I damaged your buck. Is there any way you could help me get out of here? But instead, they're like, you know, oh, people from the country are weird and they shoot guns. And the other guy was like, I spent the last 18 hours going after this buck. And now they're teasing me because the only thing I had to do with catching it was putting it out of its misery. So it's it's these two different paradigms, these two different um, almost generations, if you will, you've got the old way, which is you go out and you hunt and you've got the new way, which is you drive to go on vacation from the city out to the country. And so both of them were on their way to do something that they enjoy and they, they ruined it for each other. And then they could not find a way to get along with each other. And then the rest of the movie is, this discussion essentially between the three family members where the three of them are also dealing with the trauma of what happened uh, with that and what happens with the dad on the sled, but they're all responding to it in different ways, mainly the parents and the Wendigo is like the kid's, the kid's way of understanding the story of, of what's happening is that there's just this, there's just this force of nature that's, that's out there doing this. And so to me, the Wendigo is just sort of fate. It's just sort of a, a child's explanation of fate. It's like these terrible things aren't supposed to happen, but they do. And there must be a scary monster behind it. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because now that I'm thinking more about it, um, I definitely do feel like I can see that perception of the Wendigo sort of with the kid, um, almost to the degree where like, you know, he's clutching it so hard at the end that he's bleeding and he sees the guy go by and he's probably fairly certain that that was the guy who hurt his dad in some capacity. So it's almost like 
him, you know, embodying somehow this, this, the fate of it all, not necessarily controlling it, but like also the Wendigo did say, I, I, where's my liver or something like that. And the dad lost his liver or that's what caused death. I mean, there's, you know, there's all those little tiny nods to stuff like that. So that's a really interesting perspective and makes me rethink a lot. Yeah. Like the dad is all about, um, about how, you know, these guys didn't take care of him the way he wanted when he got into this accident, that's, that's sort of his underlying motivation, his underlying uh, condition. The mom is like trying to manage how that's being perceived by the kid. And so together, s- since we see them each separately as well as together, like from the dad's point of view, the Otis definitely shot him from the mother's point of view. Otis shot him because she found the bullet through the salt or whatever that was in the, in the cabinet. And the kid is just like taking on board, whatever information he can get from his parents and just catastrophizing the rest into the monster. So what do you guys think about then the sheriff's visit to see Otis? Is Otis just having so many issues that he flips out? Is that really happening? Well, Where so the, he basically kills the sheriff or at least knocks him out cold? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that the uh, the movie was pulling too many punches by showing that he was kind of the bad guy. No, I mean, he's he's a bad guy, but there's no good character in this movie. Unless, mm-hmm. unless you want to say that the kid is good, but the kid's good only in that he's an innocent in all of this. He doesn't yeah. have any agency in any of it. So the cop is, is another sort of iteration of what the mom's doing. The cop is there to mediate between on, on the legal side of things that mm-hmm. like, you know, we need to get a statement. There was a complaint made, you know, this thing happened and the cop is totally, uh, you know, for the first ninety percent of that conversation, the cop is totally like downplaying it to the to Otis and saying, like, you know how these city folk are, man. You know, we just we gotta get our paperwork done and let's just get it over with. It's not a big deal, you know. You're not until he says he was at the hospital, and then that's what triggers and Otis. and that's what triggers him. And and again, there's another misunderstanding of intent where Otis thinks, Oh, the cop is on to me and thinks I did this, you know, whether he did it or not, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Um, like I said, there's enough, there's enough doubt planted in the movie that it's possible that it's not what happened, Mm -hmm. but the cop, I think, I mean, the way I read it, the cop doesn't say that as a gotcha, the cop just told him where he was earlier. And in Otis's yeah, mind, that's an accusation. That, right. I think, though, as soon as the cop says it, it seems like he realizes he shouldn't have said it. Yeah. Judging uh, by the reaction of right. Otis or even but, without it, maybe he just realizes he let something slip that makes it not as casual of a take-in for a statement yeah, as it might have been. And that's the question in my mind is, did the cop... Was the cop's realization that he said something wrong because 
he was trying to trick Otis mm-hmm. or was it because of how violently Otis responded to him? Mm-hmm. And, and either of those could be true. So like I, I felt for Otis. I like understood him and his position. I understood where he was wrong, but I also felt like, you know, he was misinterpreting a bunch of things too. That whole argument between him and the dad, they are just talking past each other. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, you were talking about, you know, we're in Missouri and, and people think that's what we're like. It's like, well, um, yeah, some of us are like that. (laughs) You know, some of us are, I, I mean, I have family members that are that way. I have friends that are that way. Um, that that just feel put upon by everything that happens and everything that goes wrong is is personal to them, you know. And they hunt that big game, and they got to mm-hmm. hunt the game. But uh, I I'm sure Christine is dying to jump in here. So now that we've picked all something. the bones off this Wendigo, yeah. Well, I, I still had a few bullet points left, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> yeah I'll, okay. So let her talk, Christine. What the hell? Why do we watch Wendigo? <laughs> well, this past October, I have been watching a lot of horror movies, as you guys know. Um, and I've noticed a lot of them have the name Larry Fessenden show up here and there and everywhere. Um, and so I had to go back to Wendigo, a movie he wrote, directed, produced, um Pretty much everything except start in, which uh, he does star in a lot of movies, uh, mainly side characters. Uh, he was in uh, Your Next, uh, Bit Part Session 9. Uh, and he's great as an actor. Uh, but this was like the first movie that he like wrote and produced and directed and everything. Uh, so yeah. This is one of my favorite ones of his uh, that he did all that for. So I really, really enjoyed watching it again. Uh, only my second time watching it because uh, I thought that Dewey said Wendigo way more times than he did. <laughs> I was warning Josh. I was like, you're going to hear him say Wendigo a lot because I just, I really <laughs> thought he just Wendigo. And isn't that interesting that that's what, st- that's what stuck in your head. <laughs> was just the Wendigo, Wendigo, Wendigo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but the way he says it, too, it's just, Wendigo. Uh-huh. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's separate. very much a, uh, it, it's, it's, it makes sense to me that you'd say that he's uh, a very good actor because this is really, this is a movie built on performances. It's a movie built mm-hmm. on the characters and, you know, a, a lot of times when I watch a movie that's that's not very good from a technical perspective, like, you know, the effects aren't good, um, that sort of stuff, I I think, you know, would this have been better as a play or as a novel uh, than as a movie? Like, is there is there a different media that this would have been better in? And I feel that the closest thing this could be is a play, but that also Gosh, makes sense. The same thing. Yeah, it would work better as a play, <laughs> and 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 that makes sense, right? Because he's an he's an actor coming at filmmaking, and so actors care about you know 
dialogue and motivations and 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 playing flawed characters, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, just I I did mention most of my bullet points, but I'll uh, I'll read you my my little jokes and things that I came up with as I watched um, Voltron versus Wolfman. I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> I was excited about that. Um, I wrote uh, starring Jake, not Steven Weber. Um, I was pretty sure it was Steven Weber at first, but it's oh, not. Yeah. It's Jake. Um, and yeah, I went into a little diatribe of my own about how I often focus on the execution of a movie. Um, and I feel like I have a sense of when a movie uh, fails but was made earnestly, was made with intention, and isn't just a you know corporate product. It's not just another horror movie. It's you know it, it's it's a drama that is told in the form of a horror movie because horror movies are cheap and you can get away with having no effects budget and no you know uh, no film stock when you're shooting a horror movie. Um, and it, in 2001, uh, uh, a movie on HDV would have looked like found footage, right? So it, it looks like it looks scarier because it looks like something that would really happen. And this is how it would really be filmed. This is how the evident, you know, kind of like in the Blair Witch Project, like this, this is what a movie made that way would look like. Um, and yeah, the, the, the only other thing I didn't touch on was, uh, the, uh, final song, the, the credit song, the opening lyrics to that are when I fall, I get back up. And that seems to be, that seemed to be the message of the movie. Like it's about living through trauma and, and finding a way to deal with it and, and rationalize it to yourself. So I'm I'm not going to start talking about it like it's Seoul or something um, like Seoul, South Korea. Um, I don't think it was, it was that level of, I, I don't think I, I quite a, uh, attached to it on, on such a level, but uh, I absolutely understand why uh, under normal circumstances, this would be a movie that I'd be like, huh, really? I just, I don't know. I went to a funeral last week, guys. I'm, I'm in a weird headspace. So, yeah, you're seeing some, some things like Dewey was seeing. <laughs> Very much, yeah. I, I, he was the character I identified with. Yeah. Um, and it's I think that, ha- I think that's, I think that has to do with, uh, with where I'm at, and it also has to do with, uh, um the whole imagination thing of he's the character I can identify with the most because I don't, I don't feel in myself that I have the same flaws as the other characters, right? I recognize those as flaws and I know how to deal with people with those flaws from experience, but this kid doesn't, he's just, you know, like I said, he has no agency. He's just along for the ride with his parents. So, So cool. I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it and I think I enjoyed our discussion even more. So that was a good pick.
Um, well, I'm next up as far as suggestions go. Um, I watched another movie uh, this past week that I hadn't seen before and I think is really darn good. Uh, I'm not sure if it didn't get an English dub until recently or what the deal is, but uh, I'm going to suggest only yesterday a 1991 Studio Ghibli uh, animated movie, um, which uh, I saw it on HBO Max, so I know everybody can go see that um, that way. I think it's available in other ways, but that was the easiest one for me. And the synopsis for Only Yesterday is a 27-year-old office worker travels to the countryside while reminiscing about her childhood in Tokyo. Um, like many Studio Ghibli movies, it is a sit back and stare at the screen experience. Uh, lots of wide open space in there to just kind of meditate on what's happening. So uh, don't watch um, anything Michael Bay directed directly before this uh, mm-hmm. or, or you will be completely bored to tears. Um <laughs> This is this is very much a a lazy afternoon kind of movie, so those are those are my qualifiers. Them's my terms. Uh, but thanks everybody for the discussion on Wendigo, and uh, we'll see you on the next deeply discussing movie podcast.